listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's get to it. Open up those Bibles. You get a little weak in that, I noticed. You know, let's get to it. Uh, you know, like we got to be sure and crisp and get going at it. I know it's early. This is the early service and, and that, but uh, ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible um, here with you today, please take it. Because we're going to be looking at Genesis 47, some verses in 48, 49, 50. And so um, be ready to turn some pages. And as we are in God's Word here this morning, we trust, believe that it is transformational. So have a copy of God's Word in your hand. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home as a gift from the Lord to you. And uh, allow God's Word to to um, instruct and to transform your lives. We love God's word here at Hope, and so encourage you to follow along. We'll be starting some verses in Genesis 47 in a few moments. And there's a line that I heard recently. I believe it's from a movie, and it goes like this. Get, get busy living or get busy dying. And, and we kind of have a choice in there. And basically, this quote goes on in, in that it's, it's saying... Um, uh, get all you can out of life. Get all that you can. Make the most out of every opportunity. And um, because after all, you only live once. In light of God's word, I would suggest something a little bit different. That a, a different quote: "Get busy dying so you can really start living." This is a biblical principle, and we see it lived out. And you see, it's until we really learn how to die that we can, until we do that, we can never really learn how to live, how to get the most out of life. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, unless a kernel of grain falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. It remains a single seed but if it dies, then it will bear much fruit. And Jesus set that example in the giving of his life, of a seed going into the ground and dying, and thus pre presenting or then producing great fruit. Jesus is, that ex is the ultimate example in that, but we follow in those footsteps. And it means at times a death to our will, our plans, our dreams, our hopes, our agendas. It means a death to our grudges and our desire for revenge. It, it means a death to holding on to those things that we think we are entitled to, and it's releasing it all to God. It's, it's letting go of the self-salvation plans that we may come up with that we think is going to earn us eternal life and put our hands and die to all of those and put our hands and our lives and surrender them in a sense, to death in Jesus Christ and allowing him to bring the life from that. And it's trusting and allowing the sovereign God over all things to then bring real life, real hope, real purpose, real meaning, trusting and believing that God can and does, will work in all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly in life. He can and will work all things for our good. As believers in Jesus Christ, even the worst circumstances can be turned around and used by God for his glory and for our good. Last week, our focus turned to Jacob, the father of Joseph, as we've been going through this series on the life of Joseph. And, and we looked at his father, who at the age of 130, can you imagine age 130, and he was still going, experienced a resurgence, so to speak. Because at age 130, he had a new lease on life. Because for 22 years... He, a part of him had died prior to this. For 22 years, he thought his son Joseph, his, his beloved son, was dead, had, had been killed by a wild animal. But now he finds out that his son is alive. And he finds out that his death was staged as a cruel um, trick that his sons played on him in, in, because of their jealousy that they had for him. And now he finds out 22 years later his son is alive and that he's second in command in Egypt. Man, this, 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 this Canaanite boy, well, this boy from Canaan is second in command in all of Egypt. 
And so last week we saw in God in every part of our life, we saw that sweet reunion that took place. And, and the son who he thought was dead was actually alive. And so Jacob serves to us as an example to us that despite, and, and we have to get this because we need to, to, to pay attention and learn from these great men and women in God's word. And we see here that despite our failures and our regrets, despite a, a messed up at times, perhaps personal life, marriage or marriages, and, and, and even in, in at times, perhaps even thinking that my kids are a disaster. And, and this was all the things that Jacob was experiencing, that God is in the business of renewing and restoring and bringing new life and new hope and a future to our families and to our churches. God is in the business of restoration. And last week we saw God in every part of our lives. God in our failures. God in the decisions that we make as well as God in our sweet reunions. And, and I'm not going to go further into what we talked about last week. We're going to continue on in this line of thinking this week. But you can go online and you can listen or watch last week's sermon to get caught up on, on, on how we see God in our failures, in our decisions, and even in the sweet reunions that he desires to give to us. But today we continue on in this, God in my day-to-day, -day, God in my day-to-day -day life. And how essential it is that, that God just, we don't see him as someone we kind of pay attention to when we're in trouble or when life gets hard or on church on Sundays, but that God is in every part of our lives. Now, we don't really know what takes place for the next 17 years. We do know that, that Jacob was given another 17 years with Joseph, with all of his family, living in Egypt and living well. And this would have been a sweet time for them. We know very little about it, but we do know that there was still going to be five years of famine that they would, would experience, and yet they experienced God's provision. In chapter 47, verse 27, you can follow along, it says this, Thus Israel, Jacob, settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. 17 years of unruffled tranquility for him and his family. And indeed, God was restoring the years that the locusts had taken away, and that's another kingdom principle we talked about last week, how God can restore what's been taken from us. Now, when you look, actually, at the, at, at the entire book of Genesis, as, as we are coming to the very end here, chapter 50 ends, and we're going to touch a little bit into chapter 50 today. When you think about the entire book of Genesis, it is bookmarked at the beginning and at the end with God's blessing. It begins with God's blessing. It ends with God's blessing. It starts out in the beginning, God. And God blessed mankind. God blessed creation. And we see this blessing in the garden. At the end of the book, we see God's blessing on Jacob and his sons as they settle into the land of Goshen, which was in the eastern Nile district. It was beautiful, fertile district, a beautiful area for them to be able to live. It was really essentially the best that Egypt had to offer. Now, in between these two bookmarks of God's blessing, we have a lot of stuff that went down. And we have sin, and we have death, and we have destruction. And we see devastation that is all taking place. And yet we see a restoration towards the end. Giving us a picture of, of God's grace. And, and we see a regaining, if you want to say, of that blessing. Not perfectly, because that will come one day. But it's pointing us to the restoration of the Garden of Eden. And the unmatched fellowship and beauty of God that we will one day enjoy as His creation. And so we're seeing, we're seeing Eden being restored. Even in little bits here, we get a picture of this. Unhindered fellowship with God. This is something that God has in store for His children. Another important kingdom principle is that 
When and where there is true humility, repentance and surrender before God. And that surrender before God means that we seek to forgive, extend forgiveness and reconciliation to those around us, just as we saw here in the life of Joseph and his brothers, that when there is a surrender before God to his ways and his plans and a surrender to our pride and we desire to reconcile and forgive brothers and sisters, it leads to rest, restored relationships around us and it leads us to an unmatched blessing and joy and peace that nothing else on earth will give to you. That when you are right before God, you are right before your brothers and sisters, your fellow men, there is a joy, there is a blessing, there is a peace in your life that will not come from money, fame, thrills, spills, personal accomplishments, unmatched to any of those things is the blessing of God that we can enjoy. A picture that God gives to us of a restored Eden taking place in our lives. God's gracious provisions. And it's all a foretaste of what is to come. And see, that's why it's important that we better get busy dying so we can really start living. Start dying to our plans, our agendas, our pride, and allow God to make us alive and to bring forth the fruit in His time. And all the while, knowing and appreciating His glory. So these 17 years for Jacob seemed relatively mundane. There's nothing written about them. As well as for the next 400 years for his descendants that would continue on. The next 400 years... Being here in Egypt allowed Jacob's family, his descendants, to grow from a family into a mighty nation. God's provision in that. We'll see that in a few moments. And yet, listen up. This is so important. It's in the routines of life, in the seemingly mundane. That's where the real gains are made. That is where real life happens. That's where true joy can be discovered. And that reality of God's provision in our lives becomes the most obvious. Now, I, I don't want you to be offended by this, um, so, so take it from me as, as, as already warning you. But I'm going to venture to guess, your life is pretty mundane. It's pretty monotonous at times, and so is mine. Let's face it, our lives, we just kind of go through life. So oftentimes, in the mundane kind of routines that take place. You get up in the morning at the same time, and you look at that same face in the mirror, and you brush those same teeth. Well, at least I hope you do that, and you brush that same hair, even if it's becoming less and less day after day. And you make or you order that same cup of coffee. You drive that same route to work, to school, to the grocery store, to wherever you might go. You do that same work, same school work. You go to that same store, buy the same groceries, day after day, week after week. You drive home in that same car on the same way home. You kiss that same spouse when you get in the door. You, you eat that same food. If you have kids, you change those same dirty diapers all day long, in the evening, in the middle of the night, whenever that might, you tell them to clean up those same dirty rooms, and later on you sit on that same chair, watch the same shows, go to bed at the same time, kiss the same spouse, and you do it all over again in the next number of hours. Right? I mean, that's life. And we all have these routines, and we have this that goes on. That, this is called monotony. This is just the routine of life, though. The weddings, the births, the celebrations, the vacations, the, the big events, those, those glory times in our life, those are just little detours in the mundane. And I'm not belittling this. This is so important that we understand it. So oftentimes we can live for that next thing all the time. When God wants to meet us every day in the routine, in the mundane, in whatever it is that we're going through. And so it's not living for those next or the next big event, but understanding and living with a sense of God's sovereignty and God's love and God's care and protection for us day in and day out. You see, it's in the routines that the real gains are made. It's where true joy is discovered. And the reality of God's provisions 
can become so obvious, but so oftentimes we're just so in the grind. We're so in it, we don't even take time to notice it. But it's where real life and character and deepening relationships are forged. It's in the day-to-day, in the mundane, in the monotony of life. And not so much in the frills and the thrills of life. It's in the hidden life with God. It's in the hidden time in God's Word that God forms and builds His servant. It's in those times of prayer and personal worship whether you're outside walking on a, a, a hike or trail or whether you're in your living room on your knees. That is where life happens and where God shapes His servants. It's in the day-to-day recognizing God's provision. It's, it's recognizing God's gracious provision in our land, in our lives. Here is Jacob and his family. What are they given? The best in a foreign country. What a blessing. Here they are, famine going on, and they are given the best of the best by a pagan nation. Pharaoh insisted that they have this land. Believer in Christ today, are you living with a sense of thanksgiving and awe and worship for all the provisions that we've been given? Here in this nation, oh, we complain and we bellyache, don't we? And we can find it so easy to do as do I. I'm not just saying it's you. It, when gas prices went up again this week, it's like, really? And, and, you know, there's, yeah, just a lot of different thoughts going through our head. And yet, we see God's provision in His beauty all around us. We live oftentimes with such a sense of entitlement and complaining and thinking we're getting the raw end of a deal or we've been kind of, you know, sidelined in life. Do we live with that sense of thanksgiving to God for His provision for us. Ephesians 1 verse 3 reminds us that in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, all this and heaven too. And honestly, what's going on here in this world and even the beautiful corners of this world, whether it may be in the Okanagan, in the Rocky Mountains, in, in, in the jungle somewhere, in Africa, wherever it might be, and you see this beauty all around, this world is going to be is like a garbage can compared to the heaven that God has prepared for us. His, all this, and then heaven beyond all of this. How amazing is that? And for the believer in Christ, oh, would we understand that the blessings that God has given to us now and what is coming in the future far outstrip anything we can achieve or desire to experience here on earth. But it's also recognizing it's in the routine, in the mundane, that we not only live with the sense of God's provision, but also recognize God's protection, recognize God's preparation in our life in those times of waiting that God is always at work and God is at work and it's in oftentimes in those waiting periods that God is working in our lives God is providing and protecting and preparing Jacob and his sons in Egypt not only from the famine but taking them out of the land of Canaan and the temptation of the people around them to become like them and to worship the gods of the people around them. And he sets them alone in this beautiful part in Egypt for them to not have the influence from other nations, but to grow together as a family and to grow into a mighty nation. You see, moving to Egypt was not an interruption in, in, in God's plan, but an incubation for God's covenant people. Do we see what's going on in our lives at times as just an interruption when the car breaks down, when we're waiting for um, our hopes and dreams to possibly be accomplished? Are we just interrupted and annoyed because, or annoyed because of those interruptions or are we trusting God and believing that He's incubating something sweet in our lives? That there is good preparation happening even on the backside of the desert. And maybe you feel like you're in a desert today. And would you lean into God and to recognize His protection, His provision in your life. And that He is preparing you for something more. And for every one of His children here today, He is preparing you for something more. 
whether it's here on life in mission for him or one day in heaven, that we will experience the awesomeness of his grace, of his love. And over the next 400 years, this family would grow into a mighty nation. The mighty nation of Israel and the promises and the covenants that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob would be fulfilled that many nations of this world would be blessed and continue today the na- how the hand of God is on the nation of Israel. I just love it. I mean, you get updates and, 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 and there's, there's so much turmoil and, 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 and craziness and terrorism and different things that are happening that often doesn't get reported just in, in our news here because there's so many other things going on. And yet Israel, God's people, there is this protection that God has on that nation and how significant they are going to be and will, are and will continue to be in end time events. And one thing about God's people is you can't touch them. There's, there, there, there's a protection upon that nation, and we pray that so many of, of the people of Israel who are not following Jesus would come to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. But we see God working and producing this mighty nation. Do we take time regularly throughout the day to recognize and give thanks for God's provision in our lives? For God's protection. How many times have you looked back and, and, and have seen how God has protected you? Whether it, it was out driving. Or whether it was in a fall that you happened. And, or something that took place. Like it could have been so much worse. You know, and, or, or, or even certain spiritual protections. That, that, that you just sense that God has given to you. As you look back on your life. As well as how often times do we stop and give thanks for the preparation. That he is bringing into our lives, even in the mundane, giving thanks for all that he's done. And so it's God in the day-to-day, but then next we see God in my dying and in my death. 47, chapter 47, verse 29, it says, And then the time drew near that Israel must die. He called his son Joseph. And then if you flip over to chapter 48, verse 1, and it says, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. In other words, he doesn't have much time left. This isn't like, oh, he caught a cold. This is no, he caught a cold, he, he, he now has pneumonia, and he doesn't have much time left. In other words, we already know this for obvious reasons, his, his age being one of them, but Jacob would have stopped buying green bananas, right? Like he just wouldn't have been buying those because it's like, what's the point? Don't know if I'll be around to eat them. He didn't have to worry about the expiration date on the canned goods on his shelf because he just knew, hey, that's not going to be a problem. I'll, I'll expire before they do. He, he was into extra innings. He was into sudden death overtime. I mean, it was just, this was the reality for him. But when we talk about this, God in my dying, in my death, this becomes a very uncomfortable, taboo subject so oftentimes for people. We avoid this kind of thinking and talk about death as a whole, because we just want to focus on the good, on the positive. Well, death is good, and it is positive for the believer in Jesus Christ. And so we need to focus on that. We need to understand this. Death brings, though, that uncomfortable sting. And yet it's something that every one of us needs to prepare for. You see, the death rate is still hovering at what? 100%? Yeah, it's happening, and it's coming for each one of us. And no matter how fit, how strong, how sharp your mind is, or how active your body is, how engaging you are, how attractive, how rich, how eloquent, how effective at overcoming challenges and obstacles, regardless of of, of the sharp and the brilliant mind that you have and and the strong body, death is coming for you. It just is. It's coming for every one of us. Charlotte, my wife, works at a funeral home here in town um, in the reservation department. Um, or I guess, well, it's pre-planning, you know, just call her and uh, you know, she can help you out. And uh, she's had quite the jobs um, here in Kelowna. She worked as an auditor for the federal government for a good number of years now at a funeral home. Death and taxes, come on. You just, I mean, I, I mean, just, you know, I marry them, she buries them. Like we're just, you know, a power couple, I guess you could say, you know, and... Uh, but they have a sign uh, out in front of their uh, funeral home, and that sign says, here for you. 
And uh, I chuckled at that a few times. Just my mind goes a little funny on that. And then I suggested a change, and, and so my son kind of helped me on that this week. He did a little editing. Yeah, it's just like, they should really change it to see you soon. Um, we're coming for you. It's happening. You see, death is the great leveler. And, and, and it's coming for each one of us. It's coming. And, and, and Jacob knew that, that he was going to be leaving shortly. And, and we see this in chapter 47 and 48. You can read it for yourself. But, but here's a few obvious signs that death was coming. First of all, his age. He was 147. It, we also find out he was ill. And this was an illness with no possibility of recovering. We see diminishing physical strength in his life. In, in chapter 47, verse 31, it said he worshipped from bed. And, and that was a sign. I mean, the normal place and posture of worship was not in your bed. It was on the floor before God in humility. He knew that if he went down to the floor, he wasn't getting up. It was, help, I've fallen, I can't get up. And so he's worshiping from his bed. His body is getting weak. He has a weakening mind. We see in chapter 48, he remembers and reminisces about the past with, with just great love and, and, and clarity. But then his grandsons come in, he's like, who are you? I mean, sound familiar, folks? This happens. We also see another um, sign that the obvious was coming is that he was putting his affairs in order, which is such a great thing to do. He's giving instructions about his burial. And these are all signs of diminishing capacities. And some of you might say, ah, I've been experiencing these and I'm only in my 20s. I'm only in my 30s. I mean, my kids and my wife are so tired of me. Uh, have you seen my keys? I mean, I don't know how many times yesterday we were here for a wedding and lost my keys, lost my Bible, lost my phone, lost, uh, just, I mean, it just happens. And I just say, there's so much in this mind of mine. I just can't keep it all straight, you know. But this is a sign of diminishing capacities that we all have. But these signs of diminishing capacities that you are experiencing and will experience with greater intensity in the years or the decades to come, listen, this is actually a good thing. These are God's signal blessings to us to remind us we're not going to be here forever. we got to be ready. we got to be prepared. And we got to do as much as we can to go with God and to take as many with us in that way. Even the death of a younger person, a sudden death or a terminal illness, is a sober reminder to us that around every one of us is the chain of death. And we all have a chain of death that has been wrapped around us. And it's, it's wrapped around us in such a way... I'm not going to pull a, you know, some sort of a great uh, escape or anything like this. I do have the keys, I think. At least I hope Jason gave me the right keys. Well, they're in here, actually, so I'm not even going to do it up because you kind of get the, the understanding here. Somebody come lock me up. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> well, we'll just do that. It is locked. All right, keys there. We all have this chain around us, and it weighs us down. And, and there's only one way for this chain to come off. We have this chain of death around us, and we can't ignore it. And we can't put it off. I would be guilty of pastoral malpractice if I didn't warn and prepare you for death, for what is a sure reality. But understand this, we ought not to fear death. There are some of you, quite possibly, you can't fall asleep at night without music playing or with the light on or with something because there's fear that, that perhaps you will fall asleep and you won't wake up because there's a fear of death. Some of you are gripped by fear of death that is, has such a firm grip on you that when you drive or, or maybe it's a fear of death for a loved one and, and it just has a hold and a grip on you. We mustn't fear death. We must, though, prepare for it. We must be prepared for it. 
Well, that didn't work out too well. There's only one way, though, that this chain comes off. We must understand and we must know that physical death combined with spiritual death equals eternal death, which the Bible calls hell. That's the reality. That is truth from God's Word. You want to believe in heaven? Well, you know where the belief from heaven comes from? It comes from the Word of God, so we must do what it says if we want to go there. We must understand what God's Word says, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And we need to be made spiritually alive. We need and we can have the chain of death taken off of us and to be released from the fear of death and the chain and the hold that it has. Romans chapter 5 says, just as sin and death came into the world through one man, that being Adam, that forgiveness and life comes through one man, Jesus. And the only way this chain comes off, the only way that this key is going to work is through Jesus Christ. It's recognizing that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, sent here by His heavenly Father, and recognizing that we are sinful, deserving of death, deserving to be separated from God because of His holiness and because of who He is. And this is what is coming for us if we do not turn and give our lives to Jesus Christ. And when we believe in faith that Jesus Christ was the full and satisfying payment for our sins and we receive his forgiveness and receive the free gift of eternal life and we believe in what he did on the cross and then rising from the dead on the third day conquering sin and death then we can believe and receive his grace his forgiveness and this chain that is wrapped around us that is killing us that will one day send us to hell gets removed once and for all and it's not coming back on and this is what we have to look forward to. This is a reality that we can not only believe, but we can experience in our lives. You know, it's kind of crazy how we, we fear, we ignore, we suppress. We, we don't prepare for the ultimate of what we have been created for. We haven't been created ultimately for life here on this earth, and yet we'd work and try and squeeze so much as we can out of the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years that God may give to you here on this earth. And we try, we put so much in here, and we don't live for and prepare and get excited and pumped up about what we have been created for. Eternal life with Jesus Christ, with, lo with, with loved ones, and, and, and Bible heroes and, and Bible mess-ups who, who receive God's grace and God's forgiveness upon their lives. We, we fear death so much because we've given up on heaven. We obsess over health and fitness. We're trying to heal everyone and keep ourselves young and healthy because we've given up on heaven. We're hoping and praying and fixing our hopes politically, thinking it's that next political leader. It's in that political party. It's in this person and that person. Why? Because we've given up on heaven. I'm not saying we don't care about these things. We don't obsess about it. We, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us here on earth. But so oftentimes we're living like this is it. And we're putting all our eggs into the earth basket and they're all going to get smashed. And so we work and we strive and we save and we obsess and we plan and we do whatever it takes to squeeze as much as we can out of the years that God has given to us here. Why? Because we don't understand or we've given up on heaven. We just think it's a nice little afterlife, little reward. No, it is the ultimate that God has in store for us. And so we must prepare for death personally. Have you prepared for death personally? Have you had that chain wrapped around your life? Have you had that chain removed? Only Jesus Christ is the one who holds the keys for that to be removed. But then we must also prepare others. Jacob just didn't live for himself here. This is beautiful. L look at chapter 47, verse 29. It says, Do not bury me in Egypt. Let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Burying place. Then he says, and swear to me. He's getting his family. Swear to me. 
Put me, don't bury me here in Egypt. Take me back to Canaan, to the family plot, where Abraham is with Sarah, where Isaac is with Rebekah, and where my beloved Leah are, are, are buried. I want to be there. And then in chapter 49, verse 1, it says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves around. I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen. In verse 2, it goes on, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Here he's giving final instructions, and he's giving blessings. He's encouraging and inspiring them. Go with God and don't give up. You've got this. You've got to do this. Go with God. And he spoke blessings that were suitable to each one of them. He's honest. Not just giving nice little flowery, uh, pleasant platitudes. You know, just kind of having this nice little kumbaya moment. No, he's astonishing honest as you read through those chap- that chapter of blessings. And, and he's honest about specific failures on behalf of some of the sons. And the fruit that would result because of that. But we also see it's so covered in so much grace. He's so hopeful. That, that they will follow God's plan to use them for His glory and His purposes. I, I wish we could work through those blessings. It would probably take us a month of Sundays to do so. And some of them, especially, you read the blessing to Judah, that messed up son of his, not even the firstborn. He, he is the one that the lineage of Jesus comes through, the broken one, the messed up one, and yet the repentant one and the one who, who, who took a stand for Joseph as we saw in chapter 45, I believe it was. And so we see this blessing, and, and we see these, these blessings are so messianic in nature, pointing to Jesus. All of these sons, 400 years later, their descendants would emerge victoriously from Egypt and go into the land that God had promised them with a few ups and downs because of their unbelief and failures at times. But yet we see God's grace in all of that. Now some of the sons, their tribes, their descendants would fade into history because of their apostasy and their desire to be friends with the world and fall away. But here is a father, here is a grandfather declaring a blessing on his family declaring a blessing on their future. Go with God. He is declaring this to them. And then at the end of, of chapter 49, again, as he ends the blessing, he says, he, in case maybe he forgot or he just wants to make sure, he says, oh, and by the way, make sure you bury me in Canaan at the family plot. Why was he so insistent on this? Was it because he wanted to lay beside Leah? No. This wasn't about geography. It was about theology. He was sending a message even in his death. Even in the burial place, he wanted to remind his children and his descendants, this world, this Egypt is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasure is laid up on the other side, over in the land of Canaan. That's what God has for us. And for believers in Jesus Christ today, we need to send that signal message to our children, to grandchildren, to future grandchildren, and children that God may have to you, and to those around us. This world, believer in Jesus Christ, is not our home. We are just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the grave. And so we see this. Why is he so insistent about this? He wanted them to not miss it. He wanted them to know that God was in charge. 14 years ago, in a care home in Regina, there was a big celebration for my grandmother as she celebrated 100 years. All five of her children were there. Some flew in from some distance away, and, and, and many of the, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren were there, as well as my grandfather, who was there in a wheelchair uh, at age 106. And so there they were celebrating, and, and, and my dad made sure that the newspaper got called, and they got a letter from the premier, because they do that when you turn 100, and so there's this excitement, and, and, and that, and the uh, nursing staff was part of the celebration, enjoying all that great party was going on. Now, my grandfather was, was sitting there at age 106 in his chair, and, and, and already previous to this, he had grown rather just content and withdrawn, and he never spoke. His lips would move a little bit when the old hymns would be sung 
Or when people would be praying, you would see his lips, his hands would be, uh, would be clenched and folded like that, and, and, and he would be praying along as others would pray. But, but for the final years of his life, he just didn't speak. He just didn't have to, I guess, and, 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 and just was living out those, those years and yet setting an example in some sweet ways. And there at the party as the celebration is going on, when there was a little pause in the party, in the celebration, he spoke for the first time in a number of, probably in, in a number of years, and they were his final words that he spoke here on this earth as he passed away a few months later. And he spoke up and he said, enough! And he said this in German, so I'm sorry, I can't say it quite, I can't speak the, the language, obviously, of heaven. Um, you know, and, and so he... So he I thought I'd get some amens from the German crowd here. but um, And he said, enough of these celebrations. Let's make this about Jesus and the Word. And it was just this beautiful reminder and a slight rebuke to them. To get into, to, and so they started to sing. And they started to quote scripture and they prayed together. Because he wanted his life. And this was a testimony leading up to that for years that he had made his life and determined that his family through prayer, through encouragement, and through his guidance wherever he could, would be about Jesus and the Word. And in death, he made that declaration to his family. And there at his funeral in December, a few months later, his grandchildren all stood on the stage and sang the old hymn, Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. At the name of Jesus, bowing, falling prostrate at his feet. King of kings and heaven will crown you, crown you when your journey is complete. And we said his journey is complete. And he propelled and he pushed his family to go with God and don't give up. Are we doing that in our lives as well? May we live our lives where we are prepared and we are preparing others for ours and for their eventual death. Fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and, and, and grandfathers all across the board, there is one lasting blessing that is the most important. And it's going to emerge from your core convictions. It's not going to be about what you leave them when it comes to money and all of these different things. Although it's nice if you can leave them something. But that's not the ultimate. It's what testimony, what of Jesus are you giving to them? May we live by declaring Jesus in our words, in our actions, to go with God all the way. So have a funeral. Plan your funeral. I'm so surprised when I read obituaries. I think that's something you do when you get older. You start reading obituaries more. And, and oh, I'm not in it. I guess I keep going today. And, you know, and, so, and, and as you read it, so many people are like, at their own request, there is no funeral. And I strongly encourage you, and maybe there's different reasons in that that happens for believer in Christ, have the funeral. And don't make it about you. Make it about Jesus. Give testimony to Jesus Christ even in your death. Let's attend funerals. When they're believers in Christ, let's rejoice that they're home. And let's sing the songs and rejoice because they are no longer here, but they are in heaven with Jesus. And so let's rejoice. And we go to funerals of the unsaved and we remember our job is still before us to, to, to care for and to love and to see family members and lost loved ones come to know Jesus. Lastly, God, in my blessed assurance, Jacob's death put the whole country into mourning. You can turn to chapter 50. We're going to close this series out in chapter 50. And, um, and, and the whole country goes into mourning for 70 days. And he, his body was embalmed and he was given an elaborate processional, incredible processional that made a statement that God was glorified as they took him. Egyptians, along with the family, made this procession into Canaan. And there, God was honored and glorified and his last wishes took place. However, after the funeral... As you continue reading, Joseph's brothers reveal what had sadly been going on in their hearts for the last 17 years. And they're fearful. Look at verse 15 of chapter 50. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Basically, now that dad's gone, 
He might be coming for us. He may have been playing it just really nice. He's just been biding his time. But now that dad's gone, oh, he's going really, gonna, he's gonna to get us now. And so they devise a plan, a concoction really. And they give a letter, more than likely a made-up letter, and said, oh, this was from dad. Here's a little note dad wrote on this little notepad we came across. And in verse 17, it says, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Like even dad wants you to forgive us. And upon giving him this letter, they then declare, we will be your slaves. Just don't hurt us. Just don't hurt us. Just don't hurt us. We'll be your slaves. What did this cause Joseph to do? He wept. He wept. He's like, really? Really? How could you think such a thing? For 17 years, you've been doubting my love. For 17 years, I've shown you kindness, and, and, and there was forgiveness. You extended it, I extended it. It was, it, it was beautiful. You extended it, I received it, and, and, and look at the grace, and look at the kindness. Come on, guys. And this just broke his heart, that they were living and thinking in that kind of doubt and bondage for the last 17 years. And he even then told him, he said, don't fear, you guys, don't fear. There's no hint of revenge in his heart. And then it also says, and he spoke kindly. He spoke patiently towards them. And, and, and it was on the basis that then he makes that powerful statement in, in, in verse 20. And this should be underlined in your Bible because this just brings in so many beautiful passages of Scripture, whether it's from Jeremiah 29, the go-to verse, or Romans 8, 28. This is so beautiful. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph said, yeah, you meant intentional evil towards me. We're not denying that. But even how God can take even intentional evil and hurt and how God can turn that for our good. He had forgiven them and left the results to God to deal with them however he wanted to. God would sort it out. He wasn't going to play judge or executioner at all. That was for God to look after. But what a statement. What grace we see here. What a way to rest and trust in God's sovereignty. My hands are off. I entrust you to God. And he shows them nothing but grace and mercy. But you know, I wonder if that sentiment perhaps could mirror what goes on in many of our hearts here today. Having come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, having received Christ and the offer of forgiveness, having been welcomed to him, into his family. Yet like Joseph's brothers, you are hounded and haunted by your past, causing you to doubt your salvation, to question whether you're truly saved. And you're hounded and haunted in this way. And you wonder, did he really forgive me? Causing you in your mind, in your heart, to ask these questions. Am I really going to heaven? Did it really take? First John is a great book of the Bible for you to read because it's all about the assurance of our salvation. And in 1 John 3.20, it says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God's, God is greater than our heart. Our hearts and our affections can fluctuate, our emotions can fluctuate, and the Bible says, even reminds us that our hearts can be and are deceitful and desperately wicked. Would you agree to that? You have a wicked heart at times? Oh, bad. I get driving and something just changes in my heart at times. And then I pull up behind some of you and I've got to fake it, you know. Um. But my fluctuating feelings don't alter one way or another the truth and the promises in God's word. God and his promises are greater than your doubts and the fiery accusations that may hound you at night or in the middle of the day. And even when those doubts and those questions come, and you kind of start thinking, I don't feel forgiven, you must ask, well, did God's promise in his word that he would forgive you? And what is the answer? His word says yes and amen to that. Have those verses in your tool belt, in your battle verses, so you know those verses and can call them up and look at them on your phone, in your journal, or have them, even better yet, in your mind. Verses like Psalm 86, 5. Lord, you are forgiving and good, abounding to all who call upon you. Or Hebrews 8, 12. I forgive wickedness and remember your sins only partially. No, is that what it says? No, I remember your sins no more. 
Psalm 103, verse 2, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We need to know there's many verses like this. And so we take the truths of God's word and then we ask ourselves, have I come to God in repentance and faith, in confession of my sin and received the free gift of salvation? If yes, then frankly, how you feel is secondary to the knowledge of what God's word says has taken place in your life. And it's on this basis that we worship, we give thanks, and we live in freedom knowing that we are forgiven by God and that we are His child. Not only did Joseph forgive, he gave so freely to his undeserving brothers. His love and His grace, His kindness just oozed out of him. And you know what? God's grace does the same to us. His grace forgives, His tender kindness, it oozes out of God. That's in His heart with a never-ending supply. That's our God. Let's bow our heads. I wonder what area in your life that even today you need to get busy dying so you can really start living. Is it your own stubbornness in thinking you can make it to God and make it to heaven on your own without trusting in only Jesus Christ? Die to that thought and that idea. Because that will terminally end your life one day in hell. But is it to your plan, your dream, your agendas, your thoughts of revenge? What needs to die in order that you may live? Do you need to lean in on the blessed assurance that God can and will work all things together for our good? And you just need to put to rest all of the ifs, ands, or buts and just rest in God's word today. Oh God, I pray that we would just, even as we worship, as we end this time, and then as we even throughout the course of this week examine our lives, oh God, would we see your grace, your mercy, all that you've done for us, that you've done for me, that we are sinners that are saved by your grace, by your love and your mercy, and that you treat us with kindness. And God, would you just restore, bring hope, bring life, even in our declarations now, may they just not be from our lips, but may it be from the heart and also from our mind, knowing the truth in God's word of who you are and all that you've done for us in Jesus. Oh God, would you be in every part of our life and in our eternity, we pray.